Good to see everyone here this morning. We do have a great crowd with us this morning, and at least the weather is pretty good for us, an enjoyable uh, time for us to uh, spend a little time studying God's Word together. Those of you who might be visiting with us, let me take just a moment to explain what we are doing on Sunday mornings. Our young people are studying the book of 1 Corinthians in the Bible Bowl, and we have been studying chapter by chapter each week as we consider some of the great lessons from the book of 1 Corinthians. And if you want to keep your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that's where we're going to be studying today. And really for the last three weeks, we've been studying a very important section from this book, the section on spiritual gifts. When we talk about spiritual gifts, we're talking about the miraculous things that God provided for that early New Testament church where people spoke in tongues, they worked miracles, they healed people, they cast out demons. This was something that was a part of that early New Testament church. And we asked the question, why should Christians today be concerned with a phenomenon that ceased hundreds of years ago? Why, for instance, do we study and we give our attention to something that is not really a part of our part of the church today. Well, first of all, it's part of our biblical teaching. Anytime we find something in our Bibles, we ought to study it and learn it and understand it. But it was misunderstood by the Corinthian Christians. Particularly as we have studied chapter 12, we saw they misunderstood the purpose, the place, and God's plan for that early New Testament church to have these spiritual gifts. But there are principles in this passage that do apply today. In fact, I remember very vividly being a student at Fried Hardeman College at that time, now university. And the president of the school who presided over chapel every day was Brother E. Claw Gardner. And as, you, as we came into the auditorium for chapel, or as we left, Brother Gardner would always say, Students... Let all things be done decently and in order. He wanted us to be respectful of our time of chapel. He didn't want us to be frivolous. He wanted us to realize that we were spending a time to offer devotion to God. Well, this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at verses 1 through 25, and we're going to key on the word edification. Paul will use that term frequently in this passage to talk about What was the purpose that God had for these spiritual gifts? And then in verses 26 through 40, we're going to look at efficiency. Something is efficient when it operates as it is intended, and there is a procedure, an order, if you will, for the doing of that. And then very quickly at the end, we're going to look at some essential observations. Let's begin. Let's get our Bibles. Let's open to chapter 14. Let's look at verses 1 through 5 together. And Paul writes, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in a spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies edification, or prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. 
He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless he interprets that the church may receive edification. Now, there was a tremendous misunderstanding on the part of the Corinthians, which was the better gift. Most of them were convinced that the ability to speak in tongues was the greatest of the gifts. Perhaps they thought that if they had that ability, people would look at them and say, look how smart they are. In fact, if I were to ask the question today, if you had the ability to choose one of the spiritual gifts, which one would you choose? Would you, for instance, maybe choose to be a healer, to be able to lay hands on someone who was sick and provide a real healing for them? Would you choose to work miracles, things that were outstanding events that people would be amazed by? Or would you choose to speak in tongues? person might say, well, I'd like to work miracles so that I could draw attention to myself and people would say, look what he can do. But if you did, like the Corinthians, you would have missed the purpose because the purpose was edification. You see, the best gift is the one that edifies, that builds the church up. When Paul was writing 2 Corinthians in chapter 13 and verse 10, he talked about the authority that the Lord had given him. And he said... I write these things being absent, lest being present I should choose sharpness. According to the authority which the Lord gave me for edification, for building you up and not for destruction. When you and I think about God's plan for the services, our worship, it should be uplifting. It should be educational. It should make us stronger. It should never be to tear us down and make us less. And thus, as you see, prophecy versus tongues, prophecy is better. And the reason why is it should be sought for the good of the church. When you had prophecy, everybody could listen. Everybody could learn. Well, now there's a very long section beginning in verse 6, going through verse 21. I'm going to try to read this swiftly so that you and I can be able to appreciate what Paul is talking about. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what profit shall I profit you unless I speak to you by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether a flute or a harp, When they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if a trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? Likewise, you, unless you utter by the tongue words that are easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air, There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. 
Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for edification that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in my tongue or in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise... If you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen, at the giving of your thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I might teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding, however in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law, as it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. Yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Now what he begins with is to point out that the tongues have no profit unless it is understood. If you have someone speaking a language and unless you know that language, there's no profit in it. You know, I have really good friends who do mission work in foreign fields. I have a very good friend who preaches in Manchester who worked among the Chinese for several years. He could come up before you and speak in Chinese, but unless you know that language, it would be no profit at all. And so he says that this must be accompanied by either interpretation or by some other gift that is miraculous knowledge or the gift of prophecy or the church is not going to be benefited. And so what Paul does, he uses an example of some instruments of which you and I may be familiar. He talks about a flute and a harp. And I want you to know that if uh, a person were able to take an instrument like a flute or a harp and play the theme song for the Tennessee Volunteers, I'd say most of us could hear it being played and immediately recognize it. But what if that flute or what if that harp played a series of notes and someone says, I don't believe I know what that says or what it means or that song. And then he uses another one. Here's a man who's going to play a trumpet. And there were certain sounds, if they were sounded, would say that you are to march forward, to engage in battle. There were other notes that if they were played, would say you need to retreat. And he says, if you don't know what that is, how will the man know who's going into this battle? It's, it's nothing more than confusion. So if a man gets up here and speaks in a tongue and no one understands... It's like not understanding the notes in a song. It's like not understanding the, the trumpet playing, whether you're to go forward or to retreat. Well, I'd like for you to consider the impact of that on worship. Paul looks at that and he says, if there's no interpreter, no one is able to distinguish what is being said, how will he say amen at the end of the service? At this very time, our Hispanic brethren meeting in this building are having a service 
in Spanish. If Brother Robert were in here and he were preaching in Spanish, there may be some of us understand, but most of us would not. How would we be able to say, Amen, that's a good point, that is correct and that is true, unless we were able to understand the language. And Paul is saying the same thing is true about the tongues. In fact, in teaching, he said a few words that actually teach are preferable to many words that are being understood. Whenever I read this passage, I often think about the sermons that I get to deliver here. What is it more important? How long the sermon is or how much it communicates? I think you have to weigh those points in what Paul is trying to say. But now the third little section of this first part here, I want you to look at verses 22 through 25. Therefore, tongues are a sign not for those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. There, if the, for if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, Will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy, and if an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Now, tongues do have a place and benefit. God had an intention behind those tongues. He said they were for a sign to the unbelievers. When you see that word sign, you understand it's a mark that says, this man comes from God. You remember Acts 2 when the apostles preached on the day of Pentecost and people listened and heard, they were amazed. Mark 16, verse 17 These signs shall follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues. That was a sign to show that they were from God. Hebrews 2 verse 4 says that God also bearing witness with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. That's why God said, These are my people. Yet... The speaking in tongues could be confusing to a visitor to our services. Here someone comes in this morning and let's say, for instance, you have someone come up and they speak in Spanish and then sit down. The next person comes up and they speak in uh, Chinese and then sit down. And then another person comes up and they speak in Russian and then they sit down. And someone says... I don't know what they said. Maybe these people are just out of their minds because I don't understand the words that are being used here. And so he says prophecy would be better. Why would it be better? Because there is a learning for the believer and the unbeliever alike, and that is that they understand what is being said. That they can grasp, in fact, he says, to the point that they are able to say, truly God is among these people. That they listen and they learn. Now I want to move to the next part is the the idea of the efficiency of it. 
When I think about something that is efficient, I think it works. It works well. And that it is something that uh, maybe, for instance, that operates in such a fashion that everything is, is in order and then in the proper order. Well, listen to verses 26 through 35. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Now, the Holy Spirit not only provided these miraculous gifts for the edification of the church, but the Holy Spirit said, here's how they should operate. I think about, for instance, if I buy something, I generally will get a manual with it. And the manual not only tells you what this appliance does, but it will tell you how to operate it so that you can be the most efficient with it. And so when he came to the use of tongues, he said, here's the way you do it. You have two or at the most three. Think about that for a minute. Two or at the most three, and they each speak in turn, and one is to interpret. What if you don't have someone to interpret? You know what he said to do? Keep silent. If you don't have an interpreter, just keep silent. Now, you think about this morning. If we had someone to come from a foreign country and preach to us, and unless we had an interpreter, what good would you derive from it? You'd say, I don't know. I sat there through the whole service and didn't understand a thing that person said. But if you have an interpreter, you can understand everything that was said. But then he comes to prophecy. And he said, let there be at two or three. Everybody's to judge, to listen carefully to what is being said. And they're only to speak one at a time. You don't have, for instance, three people up here talking all at the same time. You have one each in turn. And in fact, he describes a situation that here's a man sitting here and there's one up speaking and something comes to the man sitting. He said the man standing up is supposed to sit down and let the other guy get up and speak. He's to be silent. 
The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. They can control what they are doing. You see, God wanted this to be orderly, and I may would even say timely. That in turn, two or at the most three, I don't know about you, but I have sometimes gone and listened to people speak. And I've heard one person speak. I've heard the second person speak. The third person speak. The fourth person speak. By the time I get to the fifth or sixth or seventh, I forgot what the first guy actually said. You see, God wanted this to be not only orderly, but He wanted it to be edifying. That the church would learn something when it came together. And he said in verse 33, God is not the author of confusion. God is the author of peace. God wants us to be able to listen to what's being said to let it sink down. And so there's limitations placed on it. There's limitations in the number of those who are capable of speaking. There's limitations in gender. In fact, he said, I don't want the women to speak in these mixed assemblies. There's a limitation of the order in which they are to go. You see, because God wants it to be beneficial and edifying for the church. Well, Now let's take this last little section and then we're going to try to summarize all this together. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it to you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Now, Paul focuses on their view of themselves. If anyone among you thinks himself, I'd suggest to you that's really the key phrase of everything from chapters 12 through 14. How did they view themselves? Back in chapter 12, they looked at the spiritual gifts as something to give them prestige. Or if they didn't have it, that they were worthless, that they had no abilities. You see, it's all about how you view yourself. Some of them thought about that it came from them. And he said, did this originally come from you? No, it didn't come from you. It was a gift of God for the church. Was it only to you that it came? No. There were other congregations and there were other individuals to whom God had given these abilities. So it's really not about you. They needed to appreciate that what Paul was writing them was the commandments of the Lord. When I read that section, I realize that when you and I gather together this morning, we partook of the Lord's Supper. Do you know why we do that? It's because we read about that. In passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20 and following. These are the commandments of the Lord. This is what God expected to be done. And all things were to be done decently and in order. 
The worship was to educate, to inspire, to edify, to build up, make the church stronger. When you understand that was the purpose of these gifts, then you can appreciate what the apostle was trying to say. Now, let me for just a moment or two try to bring all of this together so we can appreciate it. Our services in which you and I gathered together to worship God should focus on teaching and learning and making us stronger. That is some of the most important lessons to be derived from this whole section. When you and I come together, there's a purpose behind all of this. And it is to educate. It is to understand. Services should be dignified and not a show highlighting personalities. God never intended, whether it be a preacher preaching or a song leader leading singing or a prayer leader leading a prayer, to be focused on the person delivering that. It should always be focused on the message about God and about what God wants. And it should reflect the dignity of that event. It really embarrasses me when I see people make the church services about themselves or about someone's talent and someone's ability. Our services are limited by what God wants rather than what we want or even culture wants. Someone might say, but I like this, or I would like that, or I think we ought to do it this way, or we ought to do it that way. What I or you may want or think is irrelevant. Because we're not here for me, we're not here for you, we're here for God. And we're here for what God wants us to become, we're here for what God wants us to be. They were to desire the gifts. But Paul is saying, I want you to desire them for the right reason." I want you to desire them so that it will bring about the best for the church and for those who visit among us. And you and I need to be thinking about that as well. Oh yes, this is something that was for generations ago. But the lessons of it, the order that God expects in our worship, the dignity that should be a part of it, you and I should reflect that. You see, this section began with a question which they had asked. There was a series of questions in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Now concerning the things of which you wrote. Every time Paul wants to raise another one of these questions, he'll use the phrase, now concerning. And in chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning the spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand what these are for. And so he provides for us in chapter 12 the definition of these spiritual gifts, the nine gifts that he talks about there. And then in chapter 13, he talks about these things will continue until that which is perfect has come, the duration of them. And then he would talk about in chapter 14 the discharge of them, how they are to be carried out. Now I want to back up 
And I want to pull out a verse out of this section. These gifts led everyone to an obedience of the gospel. If you go to verse 13 of chapter 12. For by one spirit were we all baptized into one body. Were the Jews or Greeks? Were the slaves or free? And have all been made to drink in one spirit. What he's saying is every one of us were baptized into that one body. That one body is the church. And the church is what you and I become a part of when we are baptized. Acts 2 verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This morning, we're going to extend the Lord's invitation. And if you want to become a Christian, you can come forward and say, I want to be baptized for the remission of my sins, just like they were then. And the Lord will add you to that same body that He did them. And you and I can be a part and enjoy the wonderful blessings of being a Christian. If you're a Christian and you've been walking in the ways of the world... Now is an opportunity for you to be restored to faithfulness. The song of invitation is just as I am. To me, that's one of the most meaningful songs as you and I think about where we stand before the Lord. Just as I am. Would you come while together we stand and sing?